Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Grow by Chon. If you've never listened to our show, our goal here is to educate and hopefully inspire you to uncover and learn about music from the progressive rock archives that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. If you're coming back to the show, we always want to say welcome back. And if you enjoy what you hear today, you can join our Prog Notes community, which will give you access to all sorts of great prog rock material. You can find that link in the show description or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. We also have a very special guest joining us today. His name is Pusher. He is a musician and producer from Toronto, Canada. He's toured internationally as a DJ supporting artists like the Chainsmokers, Diplo, Phantoms, and Knower. He will be helping us break down some of this music today. So welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks, buddy. Good to be here. Thanks, man. So just brief history on Chan before we start going into what this episode is going to look like. Chan is an American prog rock math rock band from Oceanside, California. Grow is their debut album released March 23rd, 2015. The record features Eric Hansel on guitars, Mario Camarena on guitars and keyboards, Nathan Camarena on drums, and Drew Pelisek on bass guitar and vocals. Uh, the album also involves a guest drummer, Matt Gartska, on two tracks. Matt is also is, is known for being the drummer of Animals as Leaders, as many of you may know, which is uh, which is who Chan actually ran their first tour with. Um, so, Drew, before we dive into a little bit more of what's going on here, uh, what are the what was the critical reception like for this record? Um, sorry, I was just really getting into this. This is my favorite section of probably the entire album here. Yeah, this Sorry. section is great. I get so into it, it's so good. Uh, the reviews on this. Um, yeah, what did have to, what do people have to say about it? <laughs> mixed. That's that's the word to use. Uh, mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Um, I'll I'll go and, and you know they're fairly recent, right? They're not a classic legendary band like we've covered on the show before, right. like they're Rush or recent. Genesis, right? So the reviews, well. One, they're not as big as those groups. And two, they haven't been around as long as those groups. Right. Um, to kind of attain that status of legend. And so, you know, it, it's 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 going to be a bit mixed and it hasn't had time to really age. And that's another thing, actually, that, that we'll probably discuss at some point in the show as well, is just how music ages. Um, but um, for a recent band with what they're doing... Um, it, it got pretty good reception, I think. It was mixed, but overall, I think it was good. Um, I'll, I'll read a couple of these right here because I'm always fascinated by, by some really well-written reviews. Um, okay. This is on Prague Archives. Uh, by the way, because it's recent, there isn't that much said about it. I didn't find like a, a swath of reviews to pull from. Um, they're definitely out there, um, but th these are just a couple that I found. Uh, this is someone on Prague Archives that gave it a three out of five, kind of right in the middle. Okay. They jam with skill and create a fine product, though there isn't so much uh, to most of it, and suggest a band that has not just room to <clears throat> grow, but also a need to. <laughs> Shoot. But the record oh. is nice and a start. Heading into the second half, they have moments where they strengthen the sound with heavier portions. Can't wait and echo diversify things a bit with vocals, but the change of pace is mitigated by the fact that said vocals are by far the weakest part of the album. I'll go into this later. I disagree. I actually like the vocals. Um, and I Probably don't think the simplest part of the album. They are. But, I mean, again, I can get into my personal thoughts later, but I just found that was interesting. And I think another person actually said they weren't a huge fan of the vocals, which, again, to me is shocking because, honestly, he has a very accessible voice. 
But um, anyways, uh, Sputnik Music gave it uh, a 3.8 out of 5. That's the average score from the user ratings. Um, Someone on there, Paradox1216, had this to say. um, Overall, growth shows off a band focused not on musical growth, but on, which again, this growth term, uh, but on creating an end product that truly represents the sound they've carved out on their recent EPs. And I found that through um, a couple of the reviews, as a lot of these, a lot of them gave um, context to it, saying this is their first, but you, if, if you have followed them at all, they've released EPs in the past, and this is definitely an improvement from those EPs. Um, I heard a lot of people say. So again, still relatively new. This came back out in 2015, uh, their first full-length yep. album. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just I'll just read one more. Uh, this is from Heavy Prog is Heavy um, blog, and it was written by Ryan Castrati. Gave it a four out of five. He enjoyed it, uh, and I really liked what he had to say. He kind of gave it some context to prog rock. He said, progressive genres of music are widely known for their lengthy songs and heavy slash complicated subject matter. In these ways, Prague has always been incredibly indulgent. But what happens when you take this indulgence in the opposite direction and run with it? In this case, Chan's Grow happened. The songs in this album are not lengthy journeys through desolate valleys and frostbitten evenings, but rather short detours through sunshine-soaked forests and warm afternoons. Rather than attempting uh, to be a three-course meal that will leave you full, Chan are more than happy to be a smoothie on a sweltering summer day that satisfies with sweetness until the very last drop. I don't think I've ever heard more imagery in a single paragraph. He's, I like the way he writes. It's, yeah, it's really very different. Just hearing that. <laughs> yeah, it's different from uh, a lot of music reviews where they kind of focus on technical aspects and, and all of that. Uh, but I, I, I just, like what he's... want to just read that again? I want... <laughs> I like what he said at the end here. Just keep that recording in play before bed every night. <laughs> uh, we should do that. It's going to be bonus material. We're just going to have... <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, he said at the end, I, I really enjoyed, uh, uh, Chan are on the other end of the spectrum of Prague's indulgence as they present light and sweet melodies in hyperactive yet somehow simultaneously laid back passages. Hmm. Chan do not seek to stuff you, but rather they are out to satisfy you. With grow, it would seem they have satisfaction down to a science. Um, so he really enjoyed it. Again, four out of five, so not perfect. But um, I kind of liked that, especially because a lot of the other reviews um, weren't like crazy negative, but they pointed out a lot of negativity. Let me put it that way. I'll, I feel like a lot of times when you read a review and it's not like a perfect score or whatever, um, they focus more on the critique than the praise, if that makes any sense. Hmm. yeah so to to say to kind of to justify hey here's why i didn't give it a perfect score here's the negatives um but i like this this was not a perfect score it was a four out of five very strong um and he he kind of tells you okay why does it have a four in the positives column so um it was interesting um you know it it doesn't shock me that the reviews are mixed they're they're pretty niche they're a pretty niche group you either really dig it or you kind of look for weaknesses. And I think that happens a good deal with real technical bands. And and we'll get into in just a second. I don't want to, you know, put anything ahead of the horse or anything, but uh, we'll get into math rock. But th- this is a group that's kind of math rocky. Um, people can write them off as exhibitionists rather than musicians. Me, you know, I'm in the middle. I, I think there are several moments throughout the record that could have been more powerful had they been tempered a bit. But then again, the record is very melodic and the melodies are pleasing. Uh, the ways the guitars dance with each other, the way they 
the interplay between them is very unique and it's fun and impressive and enjoyable. Yeah. The, the riffs and chords are engaging and creative. Um, it, it makes me ignore the fact that there are flaws in there, though there are some, and I'm sure that we'll get into that. But um, overall, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm sure we'll get more into that later, but I just yeah. thought I'd give a, a quick review of my own to, yeah, that's good. to contrast the others. That's good. Yeah, and I like I like what you said with the dancing, like the dancing of the guitars, and and even from the way that it's mixed as well, mm-hmm. also gives that sort of ideal because they have the you know there's two guitarists who are or who are the leading you know melody, it, they're driving the melodies, and they're right. usually panned. Uh, so most of the time, they're panned in the left and the right, so it's almost like the guitar, this guitar is over here, and this guitar is always over here, and right. so that that dance kind of like interweaves with each other. It's really cool, but yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. I like I like how some of them are. I like that none of them are like just blatantly negative. <laughs> yeah, none of them. I, I don't think anyone would. Well, that's not true. Um, there's there's some of them <laughs> out there. There's some think, of them out there, but yeah. I think most people can I, identify that this is a this is a unique group. This is a very unique group. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty polished, all things considered, for something that's so technical. Um, the sound and the mixing is. Not, so clean. Not, it, yeah, it's not Very. the best I've ever heard. Um, and Dustin, I know you have qualms, at least uh, maybe not necessarily with the mixing, but some of the tone design. And yeah, and I do. All of and that. I, can, but, I, can, I can speak to that. But, but still, to. the sound of this record for a debut, and yes, they've had experience in the past. The sound is very clean for, yeah. the, for a you know a first time full length record. Um, you know, I guess that's also a testament to new technology. Um, and everything and that the fact that they are more modern than a lot of the other bands we've covered on this show but um yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a, it's a it's a very ambitious album uh and very impressive i think those yeah. those are the two iconic words that i would give to that yeah, record i like that i like mm-hmm. it so so this album is um everybody listening is is lyricless except for two tracks and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on instrumentally with all kinds of complex harmony Time signature changes, heavy emphasis on seventh chords and polyrhythms, and uh, some of these things are typically in the prog rock genre. But now we're kind of stepping into what people like to call math rock, which Drew, you kind of just said that term a minute ago. And so before we start talking about the album, let's just kind of like maybe break down a little bit of math rock. And I know Drew, you had some stuff that's that's on this as well, and, and maybe Pusher could speak into this as well. But let's just like maybe break down. What math rock is? Maybe is it a subgenre of, of rock music? Subgenre of prog rock music? Is there overlays there? What what kind of signifies math rock? Yeah, I, I think that math rock did stem from a lot of the progressive rock bands. Uh, you know, people noticed they were doing something unique, and I'm not exactly sure when math rock the term got thrown around. I think I saw something in like the 80s or the 90s. Um, it's very yeah. experimental. It is not something that any of the musicians, I think, who would even admit that what they're doing is math rock, would ever say they were trying to please anyone, trying to, <laughs> to create this music. This was purely their own creativity and experimentation. Um, it's, it's <laughs> to put it indelicately, it's really for nerds and for, <laughs> for musicians who want to push the boundaries of music. Uh, you know, pusher the boundaries of, of, of music. God bless. Oh, God. Yeah. It's just going to be a theme the whole show. Oh! 
<laughs> he's already expecting it. He's already expecting he it. This was a mistake. He's already thinking this was a I've mistake. Been preparing this for months. I can see it. Yeah. Now. Oh! He's, he's gonna go all on his social media, and be like, "Do not be a guest star on Prognos. <laughs> Please blast. do not." Um, the puns are terrible. Um, it's it's very math rock is very technical and it focuses a lot on mixing time signatures or using time signatures that require a bit more concentration and counting and a lot of subdivisions. Yeah, lyrics and vocals are not as prominent as you already said, which is interesting. I just thought I would also note. I think this is the first record that we've done that isn't like has very many lyrics, right? I mean, it has two tracks, yeah, it's but true. it's true. I'm trying to think. I think all the other bands we've done have had a lead vocalist yep. and. Most of the songs have vocals. Yeah, um, so th that that's really interesting. That which um, which already which already makes this episode a little bit different because yeah. most of the most of what we can analyze here is not the the, the lyrics and and you know the, the concepts right. behind them or whatever. But now we we really just have the instruments. Right. When I when I think that. when I think of math rock, I, I I never think of vocals. If someone were to say that, um, absolutely, me neither. Yeah. Right. There's not much room for them with all the other elements in the music. Right. right. So may maybe vocals could be used as another instrument in some way. Maybe doubling some melody that is already played on another instrument. Uh, maybe guitar or keys or whatever. Um, but there, in, in this genre, they're, they're probably probably not going to be used as the vehicle for a catchy melody or refrain. Um, yeah. The music that I've heard that's math rock is pretty guitar heavy. And when I say heavy, I use that in the sense that it features the guitar most, not that it's necessarily using heavy distortion or sounds yeah, very not rough. Tonal. Uh, not that it can't be, but um, but that's what I mean when I say that. Uh, guitar is heavily featured in this music. Um, it yeah. still has the grit and energy of rock music. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of other complicated music out there. I mean, most people look to jazz as kind of the pinnacle of complicated music or jazz fusion uh, or something like that. But this, rather than classic jazz and those jazz standards, it still has the energy of rock, hence the inclusion of the term in its title. Um, drums and guitars. I think drum would probably be the second most featured or maybe neck and neck with with the guitars yeah they're they're kind of the two main instruments yeah. The, uh, yeah. or groups that are featured on in this kind of music they the drums add the complicated rhythms um and and time signatures while the guitar is usually the playing very fast uh notes and very intricate riffs um trying to either follow the time signature or add a new one and again that goes back to mixing time signatures yeah that's when we get into like polymeters right and I think both of you are a bit more well versed on that than I am. So this, this, I, I'm also very looking, very looking forward to. Wow, wow, I'm a very articulate person. I am very much looking forward to. Um, You're doing what, great. What you guys have to say, like, thank you so much. It's you know, it's, it's an, an honor. Keep going, buddy. It's an um, <laughs> but uh, like I said, prog rock was, I think, one of, if not the main impetus for this whole thing. It, yeah. it kind of started when yeah. people, I mean, you know, cred, I mean, you know, we've looked at this on the show before that progressive rock music is a bit more technical. It's a bit more challenging. It's a, right. it exhibits virtuosity a little bit more, um, than, than some other, than some other genres or shabron genres in kind of the rock arena. Totally. Um, so with, I mean, cred, I mean, that the first thing I think of is King Crimson. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're looking at something like like discipline. When you look at the title track and discipline, that's I mean, that's mixing some things that's mixing. I mean, you know, I think what am I trying to think of, Dustin, when uh, 
they're kind of like i think that it's the same riff but it starts like a beat later oh, yeah, they're, and they're yeah, playing yeah, on yeah. top of each other well you're talking about that, frame by frame well yes but i think it also does it in discipline too if i'm if i'm not mistaken okay okay um at the very end it's almost kind of like row 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 your but row 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 oh, around that yeah right exactly thank you it's like a round and um i mean that requires a lot of concentration to make sure you're staying on your part and the other person is staying on their part yeah and yeah, another one, instrument yeah. is trying to kind of tie it together <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of bizarre and math rock does this but again just wanted to kind of connect those two prog rock and math rock and why we're covering it on the show prog notes yeah definitely yeah and i think i, I would agree everything that you just said is just that we're the reason why it's on the show is because of its tie-in to prog rock like it has a lot of those elements but now we're kind of taking it a little bit more of an extreme direction would you right. would you guys agree with that yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah so we're kind of you know i always i always i always think of like a, a, a chart and I mean, maybe not necessarily a chart but more of a uh, a graph or a line and i always say like far left is like is is melodic say melody you know what i mean which is for a disco band, that would be like <laughs> shoot with uh in in the rock world that would be somebody like pink floyd you know what i mean where it's like it's very very melodic not yeah. very virtuosic um and then we then we start getting across the line and we start going towards the right side of the scale, which is technicality. So we have that blend of musicality and technicality. And I'll say this, and I'll I've, I've said this, and I'll say it again: the best prog rock fans, in my opinion, are the people who landed right in the middle and found their space doing both, being melodic and technical, um, without shoving one way or the other. Not saying that that's not not saying that it's bad, but in my personal opinion, that's that's always what I've what I've gravitated towards. And so we're going like far right on that scale where we're going to like the extreme technicality. And yes, it still does have that melody, but the focus is on the technicality, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, you know? I think the only thing that I would I would say to that is again, it, it seems like with with that scale you've you've established that on the right you you have to inherently sacrifice melody, and I don't think this record does that. I think it's very no, melodic, while still yeah. kind of being like, "Whoa, you know, balls to the wall. This is intense math rock." You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, so it's kind of like the blue. So, so yeah, anyway. it's interesting. So we'll, we'll tell. Yeah, I'm go ahead, I'm but... see. I just wanted to say I'm gonna see this album as being like closer to the center if we were balancing like technicality and and melodic. Mm. Oh really? I see this one being like, like I can imagine more technical music than this mm -hmm. i've heard much more technical music than yes this. oh um, absolutely and i think that this one is like the melodies in this album are really kind of what keep me listening to it you know like right. the, it's the interplay between the two guitars i keep listening to it because i'm like these melodies are nice the chords are like really sweet there's lots of like right uh, nice grooves and stuff established i don't keep listening to it because i'm like wow like what time signature is this now <laughs> right Which I, yeah. I mean sometimes i will listen to music that's like if I'm listening to Rick Wakeman or something, it's like uh, right. Six Wives of Henry VIII or whatever. I'm like, oh man, like what is happening now? Like, right, uh, yeah, yeah. This one yeah. to me is like really melodic and really sweet, and there's lots of nice harmonies in it, and it evolves really nicely musically in ways that, like, I could listen to this whole album and never once, like, pay attention to the technical information. I can just vibe to this album. So. Absolutely. Right. 100%. Right. And I, I would I would go ahead and get, and I know we're kind of getting into our, our like opinions about it, but I would 100% say that like in the world of math rock, I think Chan is definitely up there. And that's because of that reason. 
what yeah. you just said was because it's not all flash right and i mean crud it goes back still... to that person's review right with the, they're like a, a smoothie on a hot summer's day right i mean <laughs> you know so like that person's review and i agree with it is prog can be very indulgent and math rock can be very indulgent but john does a pretty nice job of making it accessible digestible and enjoyable right like you said uh pusher is like i i can listen to this whole record and not think well what are they doing i've really got to break this down and yet as we'll as we'll see in just a minute there are moments where like whoa 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 i have to play that through five more times just that section what what just happened there? give me you know give me a couple seconds i yeah. gotta i gotta break this down yeah it's five times so, is an understatement right <laughs> yeah, shoot. Add like 35 Right. right, but it, but it's that's what's cool about it is that you uh, and I, we've heard this album for uh, Drew and I we've listened to this album several times and it's like yeah I mean we can get through the entire thing and listen to it and just enjoy the melodic side of it, but then you also have this you know the other side of it where you could really dig into it, mm. and so with that being said, we are going to dig into it. Yes, and with a little help from our friend here Pusher, uh, we're going to break down the different elements of the album that one make it unique and allows for its inclusion in in the realm of that math rock prog rock and uh pusher is you've analyzed songs on your youtube channel yeah um, people can check that out it's pretty incredible that's actually how i found you was because of a video that you did so is without further ado it's one yes it is that's the one i watched outstanding um which is that one was so good like the, every, how you just, like I laid everything out yeah perfect yeah <laughs> so without further ado Let's just start with uh, just a brief overview of what the album consists of, Pusher, uh, so we can get an idea of, you know, what we have, we know that we have uh, instrumental music, but could you go a little bit further into just a little bit of an overview for us? Let's do it. Okay. So when I started listening to this album, I was kind of going into it. I've heard a bit of math rock. I have a friend who really liked American football. Um, So I knew a little bit about it, like mathy. I expect, you know, tempo stuff and rhythm stuff and time signature stuff. Um, and then there's other things that you maybe take for granted, the clean guitar tones, the conventional rock band setup, two guitars, bass and drums. Uh, it's going to be all live performances, obviously, um, yeah. and technical virtuosic playing. And then, of course, all that mathy stuff. And I think that this album does deliver on the promise of math rock for what I expected going into it. Uh, I went in expecting all those things, and that's largely what I got. I didn't really expect the vocals. You guys were kind of mentioning that as well. Yeah. Um, but they do kind of fit. I understand that math rock has like one foot in the prog world and one foot almost in the emo world. So these vocals do, uh, like I can see that, you know? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah, so just a just a technical overview of the album. It's 12 tracks long. It's about 35 minutes, so it's like pretty short. Uh, there are two vocal features only. I think it's the bass player singing, and then after this album, the bass player left the band. That's so right. So now no more vocals for them at all. <laughs> And then of of the other 10 tracks, right? They're like, let's include some vocals. And then after this album, they were like, eh, never mind. Well, it's funny because at the very end, or when the guy left, I mean, they announced it, I think on their Twitter or whatever, they said that it's because of artistic differences. And I'm just like, he wanted to sing more. Or or it was like, ah, I think he wanted a little bit more bass. You know, or something. I saw some reviews when I was looking for them. Uh, that said they were like highly critical of the bass playing saying it was like the weakest part of the album and stuff and speculating that that might be the reason 
maybe mm. i i know that i've also read some not to throw them under the bus we're like no of course but i've also read some youtube comments and i i have to agree with them where they're like you know the base is simple but i appreciate that if you tried to add more complicated stuff yes this is math rock you lose some of the uh, appealing aspects of this you, you get lose too the foundation yeah, yeah you need some type of simplicity in order to let the guitars shine right yeah. and, and i so, think in that regard the bass is kind of like the ringo of this band like holding it down not too flashy yes. And there are moments where the bass player is like doing the riffs, like keeping up with the technical difficult riffs. So it's not right. like a, he's not like a slouch or anything. Right. Absolutely. Uh, um, anyway, I just wanted to finish my technical thing here. 12 tracks, 35 minutes. There's two vocal features of the other 10 tracks. Eight of them are sort of the meat and potatoes of this album. They're between two and a half and four minutes long. And then the remaining two tracks are short one, one and a half minute loops. Um, and that's kind of what you get. And so the loops, one of them is the intro and the other one is called Moon. And it's just like a, it's sort of like a pause. It's like a break. I'm going to come back to that one because it is actually important for the pacing of the album later. But that's yeah. sort of what you're looking at with this album. Great. Awesome. So how this episode is going to flow. I love how you ended that right at the end of the song. It was so perfect. Right? That was so clean. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He is so good. Guys, follow he this planned, guy. He planned the whole tangent about the bass playing. He planned God. all that. <laughs> so oh, they're going to want to talk for about 26 seconds about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Got guys. Got it all so written down. How this, this episode is going to flow is that we've, we've all collaborated on five different elements of the music to break down what's going on. So we're starting with instrumentation and arrangement. Then we're going to go to form. We're going to talk about time signatures, tempo, and then the keys and the chords. So our hope is that you may see a different side of prog rock from an analytical standpoint. Um, so this episode is going to be quite different as we as we dig into the uh, what Drew said as the nitty gritty of the elements. And uh, we thought it would not only be fun but fairly appropriate considering that math rock is just technical in nature. Um, so let's just go ahead and start here with instrumentation and arrangement. Drew, uh, what 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 are your thoughts or opinions on the instrumentation? And the arrangement of how this is because we already know now because mentioned or pusher just mentioned that none of the songs are over four minutes which is rare in Prague. oh yeah um i i mean instrumentation wise pusher already said it but the the conventional rock band thing um, well it's conventional rock band prog rock usually features a bit more keys than keys. they do now yeah. there are keys in here but they are not a feature instrument they are not a solo instrument like you would sure. find in yes or emerson like in palmer or anything like that um granted not all prog bands do that either but um at the beginning that was a very big feature i think yeah um <clears throat> but yeah the the two guitars is interesting again that's not uncommon uh, but usually you think of the guitarist of a band, at least I do when I think of a rock band, who's the guitarist, not yeah, one the of lead, two. Lead right. and the rhythm. Lead guitarist, yeah, exactly. Lead or rhythm. Um, but uh, this has two guitars and they both kind of lead. They There's not, you know, they're both lead guitarists because sometimes one will switch out and take the rhythm and then someone will take a solo. So they kind of, again, the, the term I use is it's a dance they do with each other. But mm. um that's the instrumentation here is again, mainly guitars, bass, drums. There are some keyboards in the background that I noticed. Um, yeah, almost never too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, arrangement wise, real interesting. I'm <laughs> sure mm -hmm. we'll know a whole lot more, but I, I like, I, they mix up a lot of stuff within those small two and a half, you know, to four minutes. So yeah. 
uh, that's all I'll say, and I'll let the, the the people who have studied this a bit more, like Pusher and Dustin, kind of take it away from here. Well, I think the uh, and I, I'll actually go ahead and lay this out here now because this is you know for me for me being a drummer, you know, in math rock and this in the prog rock world, like drums is always the first thing that I really like listen to and uh, most of the time gravitate towards in a lot of rock music. And so, and it was funny because one of the one of the things that bothered me about this record was was the drums and there, there's there's a particular element that i can see, there's a there's a way that i see it i'm like i understand exactly what's going on here but it, it's and it's from the performance as well as the production side like it's really clear that there is some extreme talent being displayed from the guitarist perspective but to me i don't know this is my opinion but the drum performance just feels kind of sloppy and frantic like the guitars are already mm-hmm really intricate with all the the, the changing of the time signatures throughout the album. The drums don't necessarily give an album a foundation, which I understand because a lot of the time drums aren't the people who are giving the foundation. A lot of the time they're doing, they're doing their own thing. And I'm, I'm the first band that I'm thinking of is like porcupine tree. Like they allow Gavin to do his thing while the bass players keep sort of the foundation. And so like in a live sense, Colin Edwin, and Porcupine Tree would lay the foundation to allow you know, the Gavin to sort of freestyle and perform intricate and difficult passages. And people like Rush during Alex's solos, you know, Neil uh, Neil gave him the space and and didn't try to upstage him. Like it gave a sense of pattern and familiarity in those spaces. But this is, well, yeah, this is kind of turning into more of a, the relationship between the instruments in a band and the usage of patterns to create familiarity so people can grasp and feel it. And so like, the problem that I had, at least on this record, was the drummer of Chan and, and, and all of his is all over the place. I mean, his plays, his drumming is just everywhere. Like it's all along with the guitars. And in certain areas, it feels like the drums and guitars should be giving each other the space to do their thing instead of maybe constantly trying to follow each other or upstage. And I, I don't think that was the intention, but that's what it just sounds like to me. Like as a drummer, and I, I understand the idea of wanting to follow the energy or the accents of the melodic instruments. And I think combining that with the usage of playing in the pocket or focusing on a unique, consistent rhythm rather than the fills and stuff like that would just help the records feel, in my humble opinion. And the sound of the drums also kind of bothers me as well. It's just way too overcompressed, in my opinion, to the point where all the feels, all the feel of the playing is removed. Like there's no dynamics of the drums. It's just very two-dimensional on top of the frantic playing. So they just sound choked. And uh, they don't, they, the drums don't sound like they can breathe and, um, and, and, and have their voicings. And so that's, that's all I had to say about kind of the instrumentation on that end because I love the guitars. I love the – and I know it's 35 minutes long. It doesn't get old to me, but I know it could get old for having the consistent tone throughout the album. That didn't, that didn't bother me that much, but – it was the tone of the drums as well as just the kind of the playing that was just a little bit too jagged. And, uh, and I know some drummers that are like that who are, who have that sort of jagged feel to them and people love them, but it's just not my thing. I'd, I'd much rather go with Gavin Harrison over somebody like Marco Miniman or something like that. Uh, mm. but anyway, that's my opinion. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'll, I'll let Pusher take it away from here. I want to actually <laughs> just toss you a question do yeah. you think you mentioned they were over compressed and that the fills were kind of taking up space and they were fighting the guitars? Part of me wonders as a producer, when you over compress stuff, 
it it can draw up quiet things and make them very loud. Uh, right. If the production of it is perhaps making the drums into a more overwhelming force. Uh, and the, we don't need to answer that question. It's just yeah. a, just a thought. You know, the production could be contributing to contributing that. to the force it could be like of a, that. Yeah, could be a, sort of a mix issue. Yeah, possibly so. I don't know. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. I mean, I I understand the uh, like the energy of it and wanting to have that drive. I think the, per, the the performance, like the energy just from the performance, I think is like. I mean, he's going all out. Mm. But yeah, I wouldn't be able to give you an answer right now on that yeah, I, don't, no. I, I don't think it is i don't think it is a mixing issue because i mean it, you can tell what he's trying to do with the composition sure of what he's playing right he you know premeditatively thought out this is this is what i'm going to play here and and, and all of that and you you can tell the personality of the drummer behind the kit i mean even regardless of of this mix and and again no, nothing against this guy i mean he's very talented right uh but I, I agree with Destin. It's just, I, I can tell that there's a lot of, there's not enough pocket. There's not enough feel. There are too many flourishes, right? Where it kind of overwhelms a lot, but that's my just two cents. Yeah. Right on. Anyway. Yeah. You guys probably listen more critically to drums than I do. I listen to, <laughs> I listen to electronic music. Everything's velocity locked. It's ridiculous. Right. right. <laughs> that would make okay. sense. Okay. Uh, so instrumentation I'll, and arrangement. Yeah. Okay. So instrumentation, you mentioned it, uh, typical, you know, two guitars, bass, drums. I'm thinking typical like Beatles rock band style. Right. Right. Uh, where you've got like, you know, John and Paul vocals are the two guitars. So you've kind of got the, the interplay between those, which is really nice. You mentioned that the pan left and right. And so there is actually a lot of really lovely interplay between the guitars, especially uh, the opening track story. Love that. Yeah. They interlock yeah. so nicely on there. Um, and again, there's, there's a little bit of keyboard, there's some like piano on there. There's a little bit of production tricks. And then there's like the occasional effects soundscape on, on moon or something where it's like kind of vibey and just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, hypnotic. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the songs though, in terms of arrangement, I think that the simplest way to think about the arrangement of these songs is in grooves rather than anything technical. Um, I think that the songs feel like they pack a lot in for being so short because they're changing very quickly between different grooves. I actually wrote down a list of seven grooves that they most frequently hit, whether it's headbanging or like a nodding along kind of groove, maybe right. some pretty nostalgic chords. Maybe it's just two chords and some spacey sort of uh, back and forth vibes, or if it's a hypnotic loop, uh, there are a lot of iconic riffs, the sort of thing. I watched a live video of them playing, um, I think story again, and they're playing that like intro riff and the crowd is like yelling along, sort of singing along to that riff. That's so hilarious. It's you've got like, like yeah. these iconic riffs that are really memorable. And so the, that's what I was talking about with the melody work. And then uh, the other two grooves are sort of grooves, but they're more sort of like just psychological um, situations that you find yourself in. And those are speed when you're like, whoa, this is fast. And technical mm -hmm. when you're like, whoa, this is difficult. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, dude, that's good. I think they do a really good job of like every song has a nice combination and a nice mixture of those things. And a section could be, you know, head banging and technical, or it could be hypnotic and nostalgic or hypnotic and spacey or whatever. But they do a really good job of crafting different grooves and combining them nicely into songs. That's awesome. Um, yeah. 
That's and then great. the transitions between them are usually pretty smooth, but then also you probably notice can be intentionally quite jarring. And I think that those are handled really deftly uh, to make songs yeah. and then an overall album also that are really, uh, it's just really listenable. You know, right. I, I could just sit and vibe along to this thing and never be like, whoa, this is some crazy like 13-8 stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. I like that. I like that. Could you say, say the list of seven again, just in order if you can? Yes. Headbanging nodding, nostalgic, spacey, hypnotic, iconic, speed, and technical. I like that a lot. And you're saying yeah. that the one, once all the sections that they're using, which there, there's a lot. And that's the thing too. I didn't even realize that after they don't sound like they're three minutes long. They sound no. so, because of the, how many chimes they're changing and how many times there's so many riffs and they're coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And most of the time in Prague rock, you know, you have like a, a section that'll last four minutes and I, I'm, yeah. I'm going straight to shine on you, crazy diamond. Right. You know what I mean? Except yeah, that's exactly. like eight minutes. But it know? never, it never to me feels rushed. And we'll talk about that when we talk about form, but I think it, yeah. it's great. Cause it's like, you know, a two and a half minute or a four minute song. And there's like, you know, eight different riffs happening in it, but it never feels like, Whoa, what was that? What are we doing now? It's always like, cool. It's like, all right, here we go. New vibe. Yeah. yeah. It's, just it's really fluid. It's really nice and fluid in the transitions. I like that. Except like when that. they're not supposed to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. right, right. Which is in the intentional, the intentionality of them be, having stuff jarring for the sake of just why not, I guess. Because they're math rock. Because they're right. math rock. Yeah. If, if we don't understand it, guys, uh, we're just going to say because it's math rock. So I'm just going to throw mm-hmm. that out there. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's part of the expectation going into this thing. Like you're going to turn on a math rock album. You expect a few moments to be like, wait, what the hell was that? Right. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of like, what? yeah, I totally understand that. So yeah, it's, it's a shock and surprise kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have a, an example of one of the songs on the track that we're actually going to play for everybody, because I, I think it would be a, a good idea for, as we talk about this, people listen to it immediately on the show so they can get a grasp of what the heck you're talking about. So you, yes. you have a, you have one of the, an example of one of the songs on the album that we're going to play for everybody. Would you mind just kind of explaining what what song that is and what to listen for? Yeah, and I'll keep doing this as we go through it. So this track is Fall. Uh, it's a good example of Chan switching between these different grooves I was just talking about. So you can expect to hear some like really technical sections that you're maybe like, what is happening here? Uh, you're going to launch into a headbanging groove, I think, in 3-4. Uh, there's a spacey sort of nod along bit where you can just sort of vibe to it. And then the outro has like nostalgic, pretty sort of seventh, ninth chords. Awesome. And then, oh, you can also listen for a dramatic tempo modulation about halfway through the song. Sweet. Let's take a listen to it.
That's cool. That's cool. Now, now that I was listening to that kind of going in those vibes, I was listening to that, that the middle section where the drums. And it has that whole like guitar. Yeah, that spacey guitar. Yeah, that spacey stuff. And I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, okay. I was trying to guess which one that you had all the labels out. Right. And yeah. To be clear, was- to save my credibility, there was no three, four section in that song. I was thinking of a different song. Okay. <laughs> credibility saved. Yes. I, I did notice the keys at the end, but that, yeah. that's probably because I've heard this a jillion times. I feel like you're obviously mainly focusing on, again, that guitar and the, well, the two guitars and the drums. Right. But, but the keys add a nice atmosphere to it. So yeah. 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 It was very like an eighties, like clean, just, I don't know. It, it just sounded very, uh, yeah. maybe I, I wouldn't say synth wavy, but it sounded kind of eighties to me. But yeah, sort of, sort of saw wavy or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's cool. I like that. That was really. Could have cool. even like, been an organ. Shoot, it could have been. Hmm. We'll figure that out later. Yeah. So moving on. <laughs> moving on. So that was that was on instrumentation arrangement. Let's move on to form. So form, uh, which which I guess we could, um, I guess we could just say it's like the the big picture. Yeah, uh, is like the, the form largest music. possible chunks that you can break a song into that either repeat or have some kind of common thread. Yeah, like the yeah iterative A A B A of the song. Yeah, iterative or like the same phrase, the reverting restatement of a phrase after contrasting one and 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 all that jazz. But uh, and I'm not saying jazz as as in terms of like the jazz is the genre. I'm just talking about like jazz is like all of those things. Like jazz is the stuff that's all of the all the thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like jazz is all around us, like the right, force. Right? Is that like, yes? Yeah. yeah. Unreal. Okay, so the form math rock music is something that is uh, I, I think. I mean, it is is quite odd because especially in this, there's the, the lack of a theme or or maybe not a theme, but a lack of repetition. Sometimes theme. Sometimes no theme at all. Um, but, hmm. and I guess I'm, I'm sort of speaking to what stands out to me, but Drew, what, what sticks out to you about the form of this record? Maybe the uniqueness of it or, or what do you have to say about it? I also want to say that I don't think that this is the quintessential math rock record. While it is math rock, I think that it still is a bit shorter than a lot of other math rock. Uh, I don't think math rock is as long as a lot of other prog rock legends that we've covered on the show or, or some of their works, but uh, it's still obviously shorter than prog rock, but I, I think the the little bit of math rock that I have looked into, it's typically a little bit shorter than just like two and a half minutes, which is a lot of the songs on this record um, or three minutes. Yeah. So I think it's a bit more repetitive. So you can kind of analyze it a bit easier, maybe, maybe to really look at, Oh, this is the time signature here. And with this record, they really change it up a good bit. So the, the, phrase that i think of when i think of the form of this whole record is just collection of riffs yeah, yeah. and exactly what i was gonna say yeah exactly I, it's just this big scrapbook of riffs yep you know uh so i, I that's really all i have to say i'll let you guys take it away from there i mean i'll, I'll just i'll just <laughs> because, i'll just say that i agree with that and but but not only that and something we talk about a lot with with prog rock is the transitions and right. i think they do a good job with the transitions you know, yeah. the last paragraph of the chapter is usually pretty good to, to lead into the next one. It right. Is, it's not just kind of like, all right, we're done. Moving on. Right. They, uh, they do a pretty good job with, I mean, imagine I have like all of those riffs and being like, okay, which one is going to go after the other? 
Like we're okay. Maybe right, we will right. have this, have this, because you gotta, I've got to believe that these guys were just like, Hey, we wrote this. Cool. Um, what do you want to do with that? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe so, we'll go to this. Maybe we, we wrote this sure. other thing like last week. Sure. Um, you, you have that, you, uh, you have that video? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we can transpose it real quick. Maybe we could transpose something. it. Okay. Hey, how about this? <laughs> I have, I have this idea. Maybe we can like, I can do like a drum film. We can go into that section. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea. I guarantee you that was probably like how they I constructed think, all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I could not believe, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they did, but also hold on. Can we just mention the fact that these guys are in the early, like not early mid to late twenties. And this album yeah. is five years old. So they were in their early twenties. Yeah. They're they were in their early twenties, early twenties. Yeah. That's, that's, that's when yeah. it came out, not considering the age they were when they made it. Right. Right. Exactly. No, no that, yeah. it's impressive. Like because a lot are... of these compositions were made beforehand on previous EPs. A couple of these songs, Echo, was made on a previous EP, and I think Pseudo the, was as new, well. Newborn Son, I think, was that. Uh, well, was there's that? Newborn Son, and there's also Woohoo. Um, Woo! So, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Dang it. I always mispronounce that. Um, Sorry. But it's okay. they, they had made some of these that are, by and large, when you look at those those songs – they're kind of the same. I mean, they're, they're the same song title. Obviously they polished it up. They may have tweaked things here or there, but the core of the song and the composition I think is the same. So again, they're very young. They were in their late teens, early twenties composing this. Yeah. It, that's, that's just, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Anyway, push, take it away. What do you have to say about the, uh, the form? Of the All right. Movie? I'm going to go a little more technical. Oh God. Across, across these 12 songs, there are four different types of song forms that they use. Okay. The simplest one is a loop. That's just, you know, two chords, um, you know, two bars, four bars long. And that just loops for a minute or a minute and a half. Those songs are Drift and Moon. And they're sort of used. Drift is the intro to the whole album. And Moon is happens about two thirds of the way through the album. I'm going to keep bringing up Moon. So remember this one. It's sort of it's sort of like a break. It's like a little rest between two hectic tracks before the final third of the album. All right. So Perfect. those are loops. The second most complex one is AAB. You have a theme. You repeat the theme, maybe with some variation, and then a contrast, and that's your song. Then you have ABAC, where you have a main theme and then variations punctuated by that theme. So that A is going to keep coming back between all the new sections. Yeah. And, and then you have uh, no repetition at all, your A, B, C, D, E, F, G, where every new section is just a new section. There's no repetition. There may be repetition within the sections, but not after the section is over. Cool? Got right. it. Okay. Yeah. So so could you would you mind explaining this to to everybody listening as well as myself? The um on the second one you said that it's an AAB which is yep. the um the, the repetition of two but then you have a contrast, is that correct? That's right. Okay. Could you could you describe or or maybe break down what contrast means? Oh yeah. So um let's say you've got we talked about the album being a collection of riffs. Right. So let's say you've got a song that has six different riffs in it. Okay. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. We're going to make A, A, B song. So section A, let's say we want to have the first four riffs in it. So we're just going to play riff one. Maybe we'll play each riff twice. So we'll go one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four. That's our A section. Okay. Then we're just going to basically do that again. That's our second A section. And then we're going to play our fifth and sixth riffs, and that'll be our B section. So a contrast uh, basically just has to serve 
to keep the song moving. And that's all any of these song forms do is they make the song uh, stay interesting. So I can imagine these guys being like, how many times do you want to repeat it? Well, it gets boring after, you know, two and a half times. So let's do it twice and then move on to something else. So it's right. kind of like if, if I can make a relationship and maybe this is not proper or it doesn't work very well, but it's kind of like the bridge of like of a standard, like maybe pop tune where you have, you know, the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then you have the bridge because if we go back to yes. another chorus, it would just be kind of like, okay, this is getting a little too repetitive. Yeah. In pop music, into- in pop music, the standard form is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And the bridge right, right. is, you know, it's exactly that. Or in the Beatles songs, they called it the middle eight. You know, it's just a contrast. Uh, you know, we've gotten through this. We've, you know, stated our theme. We've repeated it. We don't just want to do it a third time and call it a day. It's something to sort of uh, uh, give the song a little boost, give the song a little push, you know, usually, you know, two thirds of the way through the song. Yeah, that's great. And, okay, great. And good bridges do do that. Right. And I just wanted, I wanted to add on top of all of that form talk, because that was all kind of technical. Yeah. Um, the main takeaway from this should be, like, if you listen to pop music, you're going to start to recognize that form. And not all pop music does that. If you listen to jazz music, you're going to start to hear the A-A-B-A form of the, of the head. And then they're going to play that maybe once or twice. Everyone's going to solo. You know, mm-hmm. bass player is going to go second last. Then the drummer is going to go last. Then they're going to play the head again. Right. Form can become very um, prescriptive in genres. And that's something that musicians should, I think, fight against. And I think that Sean has done a really good job here because, you know, there's 12 songs and I just identified four different styles of form that they use. They're they're exploring form. They're not just saying like, let's just do A-A-B-A and call it a day. They're like, some of these songs are loops. Some of these have a theme that keeps coming back. Some of them never go back to the theme. You know, they're... They're doing a really good job of playing fluidly with the form. And I think to their credit on this album, because it doesn't get repetitive. And uh, I appreciate that. That's that's really, really yeah. good point. And it's something a very that interesting I would, yeah, that, analysis. That's a, yeah, that's a fantastic observation. I would right. not have noticed that. And and just, but also shows the maturity of these guys as, yeah. as songwriters and, to be able to explore something like that. I think especially like at, at that age to be like, hey, like, not every song has to be like AABA. Let's just do a bunch of different things and see what works. And so I think like if you were going to sit down and be like, I want to write songs and use form like Chon, then you wouldn't be like, cool, we're going to do AABA. You'd right, be like, cool, right, yeah. we're going to experiment with form. And we're always going to be asking the question, what is the most interesting thing that could happen next? Like right, what, yeah. so- what riff sounds best coming out of this? What is the contrast that we need here? And I think that's a, a good way to write. And I just wanted to throw a little more gas on the fire and say, okay, well, pop music, much more commercially successful, right? Yep. Right. Right. But I don't want to attribute that to form because if you look at any Beatles song forms, they're absolutely all over the map. Radiohead song forms all over the map. Bohemian Rhapsody, for God's sake, is like one of the most popular songs of all time. Look at the form of that thing. Yep. Right. Yeah. Anyway, and rant. Absolutely. I'm, I'm also no. thinking of uh of and and this in the pop world. I, I'm actually thinking of Justin Timberlake a little bit, like on on some of his on his records. Like a lot of the stuff that he's doing is like long longer songs and sort of like he'll he'll do like breakdowns almost in like these long long bridges and stuff like that. He'll do so, and and I mean he's obviously getting stuff that's on the radio played today. So yeah, that's a really really good observation that is form does not attribute to commercial success. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Which is which is good. Very interesting. Yeah. And he's got you know some of the best pop producers and like all the budget in the world, and he's probably right. so bored of pop form. Right. Right. Yeah. It's totally right. It's totally right. That's. Can I get you a shirt that says "Make it AABA and call it a day"? <laughs> Whoa. I'll put it with my "Would you shush Mozart?" No. <laughs> shirt. Whoa. <laughs> that would be a fantastic shirt. But also, I actually do own that shirt. Are you serious? I made it custom. Are you serious? Whoa. It, it's one of my at-home shirts. Whoa. My at-home shirts. You got to wear that proudly, man. Well, we gotta... <laughs> maybe I will when I can go back outside. Exactly. Shoot. I was about to say, why am I saying that now? That's hilarious. Okay, so so the example of a form, what song off of the record that we're going to listen to for, for the example of form that we have? We're going to listen to the 10th track called Perfect Pillow. Uh, so the large scale song form of this song is A, B, C, D, E. There's five big sections and they do not repeat ever. Uh, there is repetition you'll notice in the riffs within those forms. And so at the end of the song, uh, you know, think back and say, did that feel rambling? And I think that the answer is no, because they still use repetition, but not between the large form sections. It's within the large form sections. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's take a listen to it.
Okay, so I wanted to point out on that one that I was listening to the the instrumentation there, and I definitely heard there was there were definitely some nodding parts, definitely some headbanger parts in that one too. Yeah, I was thinking uh, there's that was the song I was talking about with the three four headbanging part that you launch into in the first yes. bit. Yeah, so that's the B section. Then you do the C section. I notice the D section is in, I think, 4-4, four, four, yep. but it's also a headbanging part. And so what they're doing is they're not repeating the sections, but they're repeating the type of groove. Type of groove, I think that, yep. that gives the song a lot more coherence, which is interesting. I didn't even think of that until now. Yeah, yeah, right. changing changing the maybe the time signature, also the sort of the the form, but also but keeping the same kind of instrumentation or mood, maybe, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, Changing right everything that. but that groove. Everything but the groove, yeah. That is... Yeah, and I think that's one or of the not uh, e- not even the specific groove, but like the type of groove to be like we're going to go from a three four headbanging part to a four four headbanging part, four, and that's going to yeah. pull. So the song itself is like a headbanger, but the grooves yes. are completely different. Yeah, yeah, and I think the headbanging groove, like you say, brings the coherence and makes it rather uh, appealing as well because of that coherence and like you've got so track. much variation. I think a lot of people do. I remember Destin and I went to go see them back in 2016. They had actually come out with their second album at that point uh, called Homie. Um, and they were touring with it. And I think that was the encore track, Destin, wasn't it? Pierre, I don't Pierre know. It was, was one I, oh. of the ones where they were like, Oh, we're done. And then, uh, they came back out and I was like, they're going to do perfect pillow. I know they will. Yeah. And, and they did. And people freaked out. I mean, people yeah. freaked out at that track. They were so happy they played it. Yeah. And their concerts are kind of like, they they have they have that head banging mosh pit feel to them. I mean, that's that's not my thing, and I wasn't a part of that. I mean, I was not a part of that. I just want to put that out there. But <laughs> you I threw a bunch of firecrackers in the middle of the floor, and like the fire mar- fire marshal had to come. It was. I mean, you're you're an instigator. I was, for I was sure. not a part of that. You were an instigator. I was not. I was, I was he threw sure. a grenade. He had a trident. I, dude, <laughs> it was. It was nutty. This okay. This bit is over. This bit. This one dude what? was on a horse. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> um, people are gonna okay. get the idea that the host of Prog Notes is an arsonist, and uh, you know, probably, and an yeah. anarchist, and it's just yeah. yeah. So anyway, but they the, the 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 concert definitely has that feel to it, like the head banging and and all of that stuff that was going on, and and that's I do have a video of of one of the sections, and of the. Uh, of perfect pillow i i did i have a video on my phone from from that concert but yeah this is one of like the fan favorites and it's probably because of that i think it's because of that that feel of the the headbanging rocker that that's a part of the song and and they and but they change it up and mix it up just enough to keep it interesting uh but i did also hear like all it was like yeah none of the sections repeated as well yeah right though that's cool. Okay, let's move on to time signatures. Hope everybody is. Um, oh boy, here we go. Is, is uh, ready Strap for in. this? Ready for this crap? Uh, shoot. Let's talk about math rock time signatures. Yeah, let's talk about math rock time signatures. So time signatures are obviously not uncommon in prog rock music, and I think a lot of the time they they kind of go unnoticed if you really aren't paying attention to them sometimes. But in math rock, they definitely push push that boundary even further with. Uh, usage of groupings and polymeters. Um, so, uh, Drew, let's 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 hand it over to you and uh, what observations on the time signature of this album, how it affects the album, maybe your opinions on how they use them. What would you have to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, the quick succession of notes I think makes the the time signatures feel 
more apparent. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I think the tempo actually plays a little bit into this. And I know that's a separate section. We'll cover that later. But, um, you know, like like Pusher said, this is still an accessible record. Uh, you know, yeah. this isn't one where you told. So I, I don't think it's one of those where like every track you're going to get like, you know, five or six different uncommon time signatures. Um, no. Because this is still a melodic record. And I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can make a very melodic record an accessible record with that much in it. So it's not crazy. Like Pusher said, there are other musicians and artists who have really, really pushed the envelope more so than this group. But there are some unconventional things and there are some moments where you, if you're, you're attracted to the riff rather than the time signature. So you, you may or may not notice that it's in, it's in a weird time signature, but oh, there, yeah. there are a couple of sections on here where if you count it, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's weird. That's really yep. weird. And I know you guys are going to have a lot of fun in a couple of seconds uh, really <laughs> breaking this down because I there was I was going to preface this. There, I, I was at, uh, working from home and I wake up to like 40 or 50 <laughs> group messages between Pusher and Destin. And they were they were going off on this one section of this song and they're going to break that down in a second. But Man, that was interesting. I was like, "Look, I'm just trying to do my work." But what I have to read a novel now. I'm reading this novel <laughs> of 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 dialogue between the two, trying to really get into the nitty gritty. So it was it was really interesting. That's, but, that's the yeah. day. That's the day that Drew learned how to mute a Facebook chat. That yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, but you yeah. that gif of Zach Galifianakis with the numbers. Yeah. Oh my lord. Okay. Well. Um, I think, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there with with the time signatures. For some of the sections, like they do, kind of go unnoticed in in this album. A lot of the time, they actually do, and I think, uh, and it's funny too because a lot of the time they even do, even with how choppy the drums are, um, with with a lot of the stuff that he's doing, and it's because the melody, the melodies just make up, and you're just you just follow the pattern. You're just following the pattern of the melodies, and and the drums are there. Uh, but the certain sections that make it feel like, you know, that give that headbanging, that four, four headbanging stuff, that three, four headbanging stuff where it's like, oh, I feel this. I understand exactly what's happening. The accent is here. The accent is here. Boom, boom. Cool. And uh, but some of the other sections, too, like if you really start looking at them, it's intense. Like some <laughs> of some of them are intense stuff. Um, and, and what Drew was talking about was specifically one section in this song called Not. Oh my uh, god. K N O T. And uh it tied my brain in a knot, I'll tell you that. Oh my god. But yeah, I'm sorry. Um and uh so I thought it'd be fun if we uh if we do this. We'll do it live. We're we're just going to do this. We're just going to do this live. Listen to the section and uh and and see if uh uh all three of us can can sort of break this down to a to a mat to an elementary mathematical level of just simple at addition just simple addition essentially and and groups so let's let's <laughs> just I, I i'm i'm trying my best to describe this in the easiest way possible am i doing a good job guys i need some affirmation no fantastic here's <laughs> no, the we not haven't, we haven't tried yet here's the <laughs> here's the not breakdown section
Okay, so that's that's that. And I think the the most important thing to notice here, and, and we'll probably listen to this maybe one or two more times, but um, the, the, mo- the most important thing to listen to here is that there's three different real parts, different sections. You have, I, uh, and, and push your, please feel free to come in on this and, and add to this. We have a, yeah. a solo. We also have a rhythm guitar in, in, the, in the natural sense, I believe, as well as the drums. Those are kind of the three areas of uh, three different parts that are going on. Uh, come to that conclusion. Agree on that? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, okay. it's not totally clear to me yet if they are all in some way agreeing with the actual time signature. So it might also be a fourth part, which is the actual click happening underneath them. Right. Huh. Right. Yeah. Which, which is yeah. 100% possible. Uh, but we don't know that. So we can't make that assumption. Uh, yeah. We can only just listen to what the heck they're doing, which is going to be uh, uh, whatever that they were using as their foundation or their base. We don't know. All we can do is just listen to what the heck is going on between the three sections and, and see what the heck is happening. So, um, the, the drums are doing a, a, a weird choppy little beat, um, which is consistent throughout the entire small section that he's doing, except mm-hmm. for maybe a small fill at the end of the bar, um, which is basically just, just a big snare roll. Just, um, but then also the, 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 the second guitar that's playing the rhythm is really just hitting some chords. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have to, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this now that the, the time of where he strikes those chords is very important. Um, it is intentionally misleading. It's intentionally misleading and important. And and I think what it, because what we naturally want to do, I believe, is gravitate towards the drums being the foundation to carry the beat and the feel of the song. You know, um, and I, I think that's been the nature of rock music. And you know, back in the '70s, where we had you know the R&B and soul stuff, the bass was kind of leading all the groove and everything. And yep. then that's now up in the electronic music has now been the beat. It's the beat. I like that beat. Billie Jean, you know, Back in Black, those beats. It's just that's that's what's like. Okay, here's the feel of the song. So we're we've been trained, I think, to think that way. And the thing is, is that that's not what they're doing in this song. That's not what he is doing. He is not there to. <laughs> Give us the pulse, and I'm going to use that word because I think that's going to be the easiest thing to gravitate towards. He's not giving the drummer is not giving us the pulse that we want to He's be like. Also, intentionally misleading us. Yes, it's it's just like I said, it's tying your brain in a knot. That's probably why they named the song that. Yeah, not not, knows. but not not. Yeah. yeah, not not, but not. Shoot. So, and then we have the solo. So the solo is um, incredibly impressive and extremely fast. But mm-hmm. when it comes to the time signature, completely irrelevant. Yep. It's yeah. really just the drums and the second guitar. So I'm gonna listen to I'm gonna play this again and then push her. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take over this and then I'll add in I'll I'll give in my two cents here. So here we sure. go. You listen, you listening, you listening. <laughs> all right. So, so we have obviously the solo, we have the, the, the other guitar player and then the drum. So yeah, pusher what, because I think we, we've, we've gone through this and tried to figure this out several different times. Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you start first and then I'll, I'll kind of interject if I hear something else. 
So first, if I were going to name this groove, it would be speed and technical. Right. Yep. Um, the way that I've been analyzing these songs, I've, I've tried to keep it super, super organized for myself because it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of songs. It's a lot of stuff. Uh, so what I did is I put them all in Logic in a, in a DAW, and I'm lining them up. And it was very, very easy to realize that they are definitely 100% using a click for this album. Yes. Uh, their tempo changes. Everything is like constantly spot on. When people don't use a click, they drift a little bit. It's really obvious. Yep. They're using a click on this album. So what I was trying to do to figure this out was find the number that would like just the BPM that would work underneath all of this. Yep. Uh, now, the reason that we had such a long discussion about it is because you get rhythm in a deeper way as a drummer. Uh, and I was listening to this and I was thinking like, when you hear the drums, there's a kick snare, basically. Yep. Uh, kick snare, kick snare, kick snare. And then there's that roll at the end. Um, but I was listening to those and it's obvious that the snare is a shorter amount. It lasts for a shorter amount of time than the, the kick does. You know what I'm saying? So it sounds like not just like one, two, three, four, but it sounds like maybe a five or a seven or something. So that was my leading theory. Yeah. And I also thought because the section before it is at 180 BPM, and this song does change tempos a number of times that this was a tempo change. But what I eventually realized this morning when I went back to it was that this whole section is at 180 BPM and that everything they're doing over top of that is superimposing different rhythms over top of that. So the actual tempo of it doesn't change from the section before. There's no tempo change. This is just all of them being intentionally misleading at once to give you something that's like, I just don't know what's going on here. Which is using the, uh, which is using groupings, uh, yes, to, to to give that sort of feel. So and and so I'll lead like with the groupings that they're using. So I'm gonna take this thing down and break it into sixteenth notes. Uh, <laughs> I think that's gonna be the easiest thing to just be like, okay, what is this? And so everything that they have, and actually go ahead and mention what the 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 time signature that you found to be the leading on 180 on the on the tempo that that has been keeping the same what is the time signature that they're using throughout this okay. entire section so before they break into it they have a little um sort of confusing break in 5 4 at 180 then the groupings are 3 far 3 4 for 3 bars 5 4 for a bar 3 4 for 2 bars 4 4 for a bar so 3 3 3 5 3 3 4 and then that repeats. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, two, one, three, two, four, three, four, five, one, two, three, right? Uh, there was one less bar of three. So one, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, mm -hmm. three, Got two, it. Okay. two, three, one, two, three, four. Right. Okay. Okay. But obviously <laughs> the with how fast of the stuff that they're playing. The, the, it's the what, much much faster much it sounds faster like the drummer that. is superimposing sevens on the threes it's a it's chaos right yeah so the way that i was way that i was listening to it is because i'm always i'm always trying to get to like the smallest note value so i could really yes. hear like okay what is happening because you know a slower song that could just be easily felt one two three four and quarter notes or you can just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and eighth notes, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and, and sixteenth notes, right? So I was going, I was coming into this with sixteenth notes because it, that was like, it sounded like the guitar 
the guitar notes as well as the drummer were playing in 16th notes throughout this section. Yes. So yes. I was going to, so I counted the 16th note section to see how many beats there were all the way. So I was just counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up until the end of the section. And I believe if I'm correct here, I got 31, mm -hmm. 31 beats. Okay. So we have 31 beats in the section. And what they're doing is now each instrument is dividing those numbers. So if you have one through 31, they're saying, okay, let's circle one through six. And that is a group. That is a, that is like one pattern, I guess you could say, um, or one strike or how long that we're waiting yeah. for the next note. And then we'll do maybe like five here and then seven here all the way up till we get to 31. So if everybody's picturing that in their head, they could see it that way. So what I saw and when I was counting this is that I was counting all the way through 31 where the rhythm guitar struck in yeah. the 31, right? So when the thing first comes in, right, we have the, we have the crash that's straight into the rhythm. We wait five 16th notes until he plays another chord, yep. right? And then after that, we wait eight 16th notes until he hits another chord. And then we wait seven 16th notes until he hits another chord. And then we wait 11. Yeah. It's intentionally misleading. It's intentionally misleading, which five plus seven plus eight plus 11 equals math rock 31. So, and then the that drummer is, though, the drummer though is doing something a little bit different and, uh, he is playing and, and, and the fills, I may be, I may be getting incorrect here because I'm just doing this by memory. I didn't actually write this down. So, um, so the, the, the drummer, what he's doing is he is playing in groups of seven, right? Yep. So his groove is just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's, you can hear the, if you count it that fast with it, um, which I usually do like ticks, which is got to, got to, got to, or something like that. Uh, got to, 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 that accent on one and three of the seven makes it pretty easy, uh, or one, three and five and um of of the seven groupings so yeah, i use the indian t highs the tucky tucky yeah 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 um which is like a yeah drummers kind of like talk to themselves while they're playing sometimes <laughs> and to, just to keep time and fast time signatures got, got some that are, string on my fingers yeah right and so uh so in this he's playing in seven right now obviously yep. the, the seven does not equal 31 like if you, nope. seven times four is 28 so what happens is that he plays a fill to get to the 31, right? Yeah. So you have 5, 8, 7, 11 on the guitars, yeah. and then mm -hmm. 7, 7, 7, and then what I think is it 3 at the end where he does, uh, the, where he does the snare rolls? Yeah, you no, can no, look no. at it that way. 7, 7, 7, 7, and then 3. Oh, yeah. sorry. Four, yeah, yeah. 7 the times 4, The important thing is that yeah. all of these numbers – in the respective instruments add up to 31. Exactly. And that's and that's what makes the respective pattern happen. And that's why everybody comes back on the same part is because they're all playing in different groupings, but they all add up to the magical number of 31. And it's funny because the second section that goes after that because is um, 588 from the guitar. So you got 5, 8, 7, 11, 5, 8, 8. 5, 8, 7, 11, 5, 8, Eight one, and that's the end of the section. That's the whole thing. Yeah, 
it's, it's right? basically just a variation on the first one where it's they very, lop off the ending. Exactly. Variation of the first one. Now, but what's funny though is that when you take five plus eight plus eight is what? Uh, 21, right? 21. So you get 16 and five is 21. Yeah, 21. So 21, seven can go into 21 evenly. Yep. That's why it sounds so weird on that second section because the drummer doesn't actually have to do anything to make up for those extra three beats to get back on the one. So he plays it clean through, which makes it so bizarre because it's like, okay, he's jumping around, jumping around, jumping around, jumping around, then there's a little fill, then he's playing smooth, and then it comes back and it's jumping around. And it's like, it, it's so incredibly weird. And it's funny because all of this stuff comes back together for just a, like, what, 20-second section of one yeah. song on this album. 35 minutes of music. And this is a to, twenty second. <laughs> this is twenty. To be seconds. fair, yeah. To be fair, going into an album like this, you do expect something like this to happen. Something you, that's oh, like one hundred percent. I have no idea. So, spending a disproportionate amount of time—I don't know if they did or not—but spending a disproportionate amount of time on a section like this, it pays dividends. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, we I'm, play. I'm going to play it again. Hold on, and, hold on. I want to. Yeah. I want to add we another add, level of complexity. Please. Oh, because oh, this morning. I know. So we've got, <laughs> let's just look at the first half of it. 31 pulses. Yep. Right. This morning with renewed vigor, because we had to do this today, uh, I came back to this thing and I was looking for that number. I've got it in a DAW. I know they're using a click. There's a number that is going to make sure that at the beginning of the section, I'm on a beat. And at the end of the section, we are back on that beat. It's got to be perfect. Yep. And I found it and it's 180 BPM. But the 31 pulses we just discussed are superimposed over 24 beats in 180 BPM. Yes. Yep. And that's all I wanted to say. They're yep. just tossing a 31 over 24. It yep. would be like, just to simplify this entire thing, it would be like if we took the number 12 and the drummer is playing threes and the guitarist is playing fours and the other guitarist is playing twos and they all add up nicely to 12. And then we superimpose all of that over seven. Yep. That's weird. So it's ridiculous. And and when you use the term superimpose. It's just sitting on top of. It occasionally lines up, but not always. Yep. And at the end of it, it is perfectly back in time with the tempo that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It really is. It really is very complex, and I'm not sure how they figured out how to do it. It's it's quite bizarre. And 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 another thing, and I know people do this a lot, a lot in prog music as well, is because some people go take the approach of wanting to smooth out time signatures. They don't want it to feel jagged. They they mm. still want to have the creativity right. of the melodic right. instruments to be able to do their thing in the different time signatures. But the drummer will sometimes smooth out the time signatures by doing what? Well, in an example, a great example is when. Uh, when four when when the when the guys are playing when the whole band are playing in seven, and the drummer plays in four. Riverside does this a lot. The yeah. drummer will play in four constantly through the parts of seven. Now, as you can imagine, there's at some point the drummer is going to be off from the rest of the band. But guess what? When he plays the section twice, right, we get back yep, yep. onto the one. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and then so, every every seven patterns, the uh, the guitar 
will line back up, and every four patterns, the drum will line. The back drum up. will line back up. Yeah, and, and and I should have specified that. I'm sorry. There's obviously when we when we play in groups of four, right? So if we're playing four sections of four, sure, right, and four sections of seven. At the end of it, they'll line back up on that one, and so that's that's super common. If you guys go and listen to like certain prog rock music, especially like I said, Riverside does this a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of other bands. I know uh, Porcupine Tree does this a lot. I know Opeth does this as well. But they have still smooth time signature. The drummer will smooth the time signature out and play over, play simplicity over the complex, but they'll still align up as long as they count the math right. And that's, I mean, this is this is the essence of math rock. Like yeah. the math and math rock, this is the essence of it. This is the promise of it's math rock of, being delivered. Organized counting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, and it's like least common denominators and it's, it's like finding out, okay, if we, if we do, if you're playing, Hey Drew, if you play a nine, if you play this little thing, he's like this little bass riff in nine and I'm over here and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't want to follow that. I could play in four. And then this guy's playing in seven. Okay. What's the least common denominator of four, <laughs> seven and nine. That's how many times we have to play this pattern for us to all get back on the same page. And then we can move on to the next section. That's yeah, like, the, that's a the very, fun thing uh, about Sean yeah. is that they'll do that and then not complete the pattern. They will make it more complex within that and it will end in a different place. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. they have the alternate version of it or not the ultimate version, but the, uh, the second, I guess, smaller bit, you know what I mean? So yeah, not uh, even necessarily just in this song, but there are times where, where they'll all be doing different unrelated patterns. And then one of them will like flip a beat or drop a bar or something or add a bar and it'll line oh, yeah. up in a different place. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's quite bizarre to perform, to even memorize, to, to follow in, in certain areas. But I'm gonna play it one more time. Yes. Five eight seven eleven five eight eight five eight seven eleven five eight eight one. So, and then when you got yeah, listen to that. If you can count that, listen to just the rhythm guitar, the guy who is just hitting the chords in the background. Listen to that, and you'll count it. At one two three four five one two three four five six seven eight one two three four five six seven, count it in sixteenth notes. All right. So, and then at that point, then you can go into the drums. You can just count seven on top of that. That's a little bit simpler. Let's listen to it again. <laughs> That's 20 seconds of Chan for you. Such a weird, weird thing. But that's, that's like I said, essence of math rock right there. <laughs> and then for a bit of, uh, you know, internal comfort, the 16th note you were counting is not actually the tempo. Right. God bless. God bless America. Fun. It's just, it's, yeah, it, it, makes it, it makes it even more complex. So anyway... So we have, uh, so that's that's just that little, like the, the not breakdown, I guess we we could say. So, yeah. but we also do want we also do have a song off the album that we want to listen want to listen to for time signatures. Is that right? Did you want to discuss time signatures more broadly on the album as well? I can yeah. just run over. Sure. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So going into the album, you expect there to be time signature stuff. So what I basically did is we'll just do this uh, by the numbers. So you do see lots of time signature stuff. You see three, four, five, six, seven. You see different combinations of those. Some entire songs will be in 4-4, four, four, for example. 
sometimes you'll have long sections of one time signature and then you'll get another time signature for the next long section. Sometimes you'll get alternating groupings, like you'll have two fours and two threes and that will repeat. And then sometimes you'll have long sections that are mostly in seven, but we'll have a turnaround bar. Say every four bars, you'll get a bar of six or something. So that's largely what you're getting. Now, by the numbers, I expected going into this for there to be lots and lots of just ridiculous time signature stuff. Um, and you do see that, but actually two thirds of this album, just in, ter in terms of sheer time out of the 35 minutes, two thirds of it is in four, four, which is incredible. Uh, yeah. And it, it kind of doesn't feel like it because like, even though there are four, four individual songs that are entirely in four, four, they are the short loops and the vocal features. So every time the vocals come in, we're just basically reducing it to four, four. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the other, a uh, third of it is divided pretty evenly between seven, five, and uh, three time signatures. Wow. Uh, so that's kind of what we're looking at for this. It's mostly in 4-4 four, four, if we're just taking a broad view. And then the other third is really what gives it the impression of being more mathy than other stuff. Uh, and if you were to look at a, a band that's not even math rock, maybe Radiohead or the Beatles or something, you would see, I would reckon, half this amount of time signature stuff. But they don't, you know, you don't consider that as being uh half as mathy as this just because i guess they the i think it's the technical proficiency of the way they play over the time signatures that really gives it pushes it over the edge but it's not necessarily just the time signatures that make it mathy yeah right yeah that's great yeah i like that a lot i'm so glad <laughs> holy crap i'm so glad you like that that's great so so with cool. the time so with all of those time signatures we do have we do have the track that we wanted to play for everybody. I just want to make sure. Is yes. that right? Okay, great. All yep. right. Let's go ahead and intro that then for them. Uh, so we're gonna track play the track, but uh, we're playing this because of the time signature changes in it. It starts out mostly in four four. First three sections are in four four. Then we work our way through sections of seven, section of five, and then uh, it recapitulates a four and a seven at the end that you've already heard. Perfect. All right, let's check it out.
Okay. I mean, all right. right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? right? Okay. Right? So that's right? time signatures. Uh, moving on to into our fourth section that we'll be talking about. Oh, my about God. Is uh, tempo. So mm. tempo on grow changes, uh, like Pusher said, it changes a, a, a qu- quite a bit. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's intentionally incredibly jarring. Um, mm. But, Drew, what are your takes, opinions, feelings, cerebral thoughts? Cerebral it's... thoughts yeah. on, the, on the tempo wow. of this record. Yeah, so uh, to me, it's, it's, it's very fast, I think. Uh, and I think that's part of why, and we can go into this later, maybe part of why a, a lot of people kind of connote them with uh, or attach them to uh, metal. Uh, metal typically has a pretty fast pace to it. And um, Sean takes a lot of influence from metal. Uh, at least they've, they've said they do. And uh, it's, it's a pretty fast record on the whole. So that's, you know, and I think there are a couple of tempo changes, obviously. There is some variety in the songs, but ultimately you really do get that up, upbeat rock feel throughout yeah. all of the tracks, except, yeah, those two that, you know. The loops. The pusher mentioned earlier. Yeah, the loops. This is Drift and Moon. So it's pretty fast and some seem faster than others. You know, I think book is slower than say perfect pillow or splash. Right. Yeah. So, but still on the, on the whole, just pretty, pretty fast tempo. They change it a little bit, but to me, the, the one thing I think of was like, yeah, it's all of it's pretty fast. There are some variations, but it's fast. So those are my very basic thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fast song, fast. Fast, fast, fast. <laughs> it's fast. Um, I disagree. Uh, I, I don't think that these are fast at all. Uh, in fact, I was really expecting them to be about three times faster. And, oh, okay. Uh, and, Jesus. And, and, <laughs> it's not enough for Destin. He's like, it's, it's shoot. If I if I just can't, I just want a wall of sound. Like I I want the beats to be so close together that they're basically just one long line. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Shoot. Have anyway. you considered a noise machine? <laughs> it's my favorite album. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Oh. So tempo tempo on on this record, Pusher, what what what's going on here with tempo? Okay. So um there is just like we talked about with form, how there's a lot of range in how they approach form, there's a lot of range in tempo. Yeah. Uh, I broke them all down. Uh, I used to DJ. And so the thing that I noticed first is that they sequenced this album really, really well in terms of tempo. When you're DJing, the easiest thing you could possibly do is always be upping the tempo. You start at 120 with house or something and you move through 140, 50, 60, 70, 80, right. uh, flip around back down to 90. So it constantly is going back up right? Whether you have to double or half the tempo, it's always getting faster. And that's actually what they do on the album. Um, every song is faster than the one before it, uh, at least the ending of the song before it. So you are never starting a new song at a slower tempo. That's and actually, wow. and they actually, it's a really great pacing trick, right? Because then you're never starting a new song like, oh, this is slower. This is a lull. There are two instances where you do, but I'll talk about that. I just want to mention that in terms of tempo range, they pretty much hit every tempo range. 
And you said that the songs are like fast and you wanted them to be faster and everything, but that's more a factor of playing than tempo. Right. Like you can be at 140 BPM playing real slow. You could play at halftime at 70, but you could also be doing like, you know, 16th notes and seven superimposed on three and stuff. You can make it crazy at any tempo. In fact, the, the widest BPM range is only 19 BPM between 121 and 140. Every other tempo range within about six or seven BPM is represented. It's crazy. That's um, insane. Yeah. And the thing that I notice also as a DJ is like lots of styles of music, lots of individual artists usually prefer to work in a certain tempo range. If you uh, look at a Calvin Harris thing, like his songs are all the same speed, like almost exclusively, like he just has a formula. Pop music tends to be in the, you know, 100 to 105 BPM range. Right. Uh, even the Beatles have like maybe three songs around 150. Like people just work at specific. All of house music is the same speed. Like drum and bass is 172 BPM. Yep. Certain genres of music are entirely based on the speed they're played at. And Chan's not doing that at all. They're like hitting every tempo range. So That's good for crazy. them. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty crazy. It's just, it, um, again, again, it just, it's just, just to show that. And, and like I said, I don't know if they thought that's through. I really don't know if they thought this through or if they were just wanting to, if they really were just like trying it, to hit this, hit the wide range or hit the wide variety. A lot of the time when you're doing a technical analysis like this, the question is always, did they know they were doing this? Did they intentionally set out to be like, this next song has to be faster than the one before it? Or, you know, even the other way around where they write all the songs and then go, let's sequence them in order where they're always picking up speed. Right. But I do have a piece of evidence here. There are two times where a new song will start slower than the previous song. One of them is Moon. Remember Moon, the little break? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I consider that evidence to be that they did know what they were doing, or at least they're really in tune with the sequencing of an album, because the one place two-thirds of the way through the album on the track Moon, where they wanted a break, is one of only two instances where you start a new song slower than the one before it. I've got more evidence of this coming later. And then the other one is uh, Book. And the way it starts a little bit slower than the song before it ends, but they've got like kind of an iconic hook at the start of it. It's got a really strong opening. And so it sort of counters any loss of intensity that you get by slowing the song down or starting a song that's slower than the one before it. It's a really interesting idea and concept to, to do. Like that's a, it all, because it make it makes sense from the, from the standpoint of like, okay, we're going to, it's, it's always ramping energy. Even, even if the tempo, you know, goes down to maybe halftime at the end of the last song, yeah. you know, we're always in the mode of, okay, intensify an energy as the album keeps playing through. And that's genius. Yeah. That's ge especially, yeah. especially for an album that has so many riffs, so many different changes, you know, you still want to have some sort of cohesiveness and energy where it's not just a, like, like Drew was saying, just a collection of riffs you know what i mean yeah. this is this is the glue that's making all of these riffs an album yeah exactly it's it's like it's not just like if you were to take you know 58 separate riffs and throw them in a bucket and just play them randomly like it it's right. actually really well organized and really deftly handled the way that they do things like this right um and so that's my thoughts on tempo for sequencing of the album there's a one other trick that's really interesting is within songs i think three times on the album they do tempo changes or there's a also not, but not as crazy. Uh, right. And the way that they usually do tempo changes, and there's one exception to this, is with a simple ratio. So if you're playing at 120 BPM, like you are in not, uh, when they change tempo, 
they're going to change to 180. And the reason for that is because 120 BPM is two thirds of 180. Yep. So it's a simple ratio tempo change. You see the same thing in Perfect Pillow we played earlier, where they change from 174 to 116. Yep. Two thirds right on the dot. And then in Fall, when it changes from 121 to 181.5, two thirds right on the dot. Interesting. Hmm. And I think that the reason they do this, when I was in university, I was in um, like Indo Jazz Ensemble. So there was lots of time signature stuff. Yeah. And the reason that people do this a lot of the time is so that, say you're playing at 120 and you're coming up to the, the change, you can start feeling the 16th notes. And then when you flip to 180, those 16th notes will become eighth note triplets. So if you practice it, and if you're used to that sort of like met, uh, tempo modulation, you can anticipate a simple ratio time signature change or tempo change like that within the time signature before you change it. Does that make sense? Holy cow. Hm. It's cool. It's a cool way to change tempos. That is really and they, interesting. And every time, almost every time on this album that they do it, they do a two to three ratio. The one time they don't is in not when they change from 140 to 120. That's a seven to six ratio. I don't know how they did that. That's bizarre. But don't you, haven't you mentioned that there were some other areas on the album where the tempo changes are actually not on ratios at all? It's just, it almost seems at random. Uh, yeah. Between songs, that tends to just elevate. Uh, for a while, I was working under the assumption that there was a crazy tempo change in not that wasn't actually there. It was not there. Ha-ha. Whoa. God damn Ha-ha. it. But yeah, you pretty much em- every tempo change, every tempo tempo change within a song is a simple ratio tempo change, except for that one in not. That's so. I guess what we're gonna listen to. You bet. So not. all right, you want me? To, you want me to tee it up real quick? Take it up to where? What do you got? Uh, I'll tee up not. So we're gonna listen to not. It's got three different tempos. It starts at 140. And then there's a very noticeable seven to six ratio where it drops to 120. It's just going to feel like we got a little slower here for some reason. Later on, there's going to be, I think, a little a two bar break and we drive it up to 180. That's your two to three ratio. Yep. Then there's that fast bit we were listening to earlier, which actually stays at 180 despite everything. You could try to feel 180 all through that fast bit. Uh, after that, it's going to return to normal 180. And then for the very last bar, it will reduce back to 120 the three to two ratio all right let's see if i can do it man let's do it here we go math no math math
man, I'm telling you, I was trying to count that 180 over that section right there, and uh, I gotta say, <laughs> I gotta say, uh, props to them, props to them yeah. for, for making that work. Also, that takes some practice. I, I wanted, I wanted to go out because I was, I'm so curious. I'm so curious about this because I was like, how, what kind of education do these guys have? Do they have some sort of musical education? Because to be able to pull all this kind of stuff off that you're talking about was absolutely is kind of mind blowing to me. And I did not know this. I I have to stand corrected by this. I did not realize this, but this also makes complete sense to me. Mario Camarena is actually in his 40s. What? He's actually he's actually 41, according to what I found on uh, online. Now, now here's the other thing, which which is interesting. He's 41. I did not know. I did not. Or 40. Yeah, I think it's 41. I have no idea what uh, education he has, but I also found out this that Eric was born in 1990. So I think that would place him at like 30, 30, yeah. 29. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. And this 110% makes sense to me. Their drummer was born in 96. He's only 23. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, 25, yeah. in 2015, he would have been what? 19? 19 years old. So you see, and that, and that totally makes sense to me because it, the, the maturity level between the two instruments was something that always seemed interesting. Like that, that just seemed off to me. Like I could tell that there, there's just a difference there. And I knew, and I knew that Nathan is the younger brother of, of, uh, of Mario, but I had no idea he was that young. And I had no idea that yeah. Mario, I know I, I had no idea that there was that much of a difference. And I know they it's have a another drastic brother. disparity. Yeah. And they, and they have another brother as well. Asaya, who is now their, who is now their bass player. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how old he is, but that was just something. Yeah. That was something that was very interesting because the guy also looks really young, but yeah, I think he's like 41 years old. So like the guy who's doing all of the, and I don't know. I mean, obviously he's, you know, him and Eric interchange out with, with the leads and stuff like that. But yeah, I had to throw that out there. I was looking that up while the song was playing. I had, I, you know, had to had to say that something seems fishy here. Something, yeah, because what? I, yeah, because with all of everything that we're talking about, it ha- it it has to seem intentional to me. So it's like, did they, they? How did they know? How did they? How did they know? And so, but anyway, I didn't find any education, but I did find that. <laughs> so I'm I'm thankful that I that I got that on the show. So, okay, last last section here, and then we'll go into kind of some takeaways keys and chords the keys of the songs it was the chords of the song of of grow specifically help keep this album well melodically fresh and unique i think we can all agree on that after listening to a couple different songs in this so uh drew what do you have to say about the uh the keys and the chords on this record something that maybe sticks out to you or stands out to you or, or or something that's unique about chan with what they do with the keys and the chords of the music well, I just want to reference back that review uh, is that it, none of this seems like I, I don't hear a song and go, oh, this is really brooding and ominous or something like that. Like some pieces of progressive rock can be very theatrical and have a lot of suspense and, you know, sometimes use grand organs or something like that. Um, and the keys can be minor based sometimes to kind of give it a th- I. I mean, I don't know that much. I know Pusher is going to have a, a lot more information on this, but I didn't, there aren't very many moments in this where I think, oh, that's typical minor based when you're like, oh, I feel like this is scary or this is ominous. It feels 
very happy. And, and and again, I know there's a lot more nausea that goes into this, so I'll, I'll let Pusher speak to that. But just from a mood perspective, it just seems uh, not as minor based as I have heard a lot of other prog rock uh, pieces. So yeah, and I, I would I, the the only thing I think I would add to that before uh, pushing over to you, Pusher. Um, Whoa! I know that's unreal. <laughs> the only thing I would add is that there are definitely there are certain stuff that I heard in there that were like. It was it was it was really interesting. It was almost like a flavor of jazz here. It was like, whoa, that was jazzy mm. for like a half second. You know what I mean? It was like that chord's jazzy, and then it would go back right. to being like, oh, okay, still feeling the rock. And then you'd hear this, um, and I'm trying to think of the, I think it's in Fall where they do where they have the alternate chords going back and forth between the left and the right. And then it goes back into that little section, um, and they're like alternating. There's like a couple of those chords in there that they're throwing in, and I'm like, whoa, that's that's kind of I don't know what that was, but they they kind of like almost they're almost like they're borrowing from like different different uh, maybe modes or scales or stuff like that, and just shoving it all together to kind of give this weird blend. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. That was something that um, I wanted to say um, because I wanted to say it, and I, I just wanted to really say that for everybody to hear. Um, anyway, that's all I have to say. Um, and, oh, God, okay. Cool. Did you want to say that? Shoot. Did you, I'm done saying that. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, okay. All right. Over to Pusher. What do you got? Okay. <laughs> well, I want to talk about the keys first before we go into the chords. All right. Uh, another interesting thing that they do is between songs with keys. I think there's only one song that changes keys within the actual song. And it just goes from like the relative major or sorry, the relative minor it goes from C sharp minor to E major to E minor. So it's just, you know, switching between relative and parallel scales. Okay. Every other key change, is, uh, key change is strictly between songs. Songs are in different keys. That makes sense. But the way that they change keys between songs, like the way they change tempo between songs, every time a new song starts, the key is a step higher than the previous song. If it's not a step higher, and what I'm saying is if you're in, say, E major, the next song will be in maybe F, and then the next song will be in G, and the next song will be in G sharp. So it's constantly moving up. It's constantly attempting to increase intensity between the songs. There are a few instances where it doesn't do that. It'll either stay in the same key or move by fifth, just a cycle progression if anyone's familiar with the circle of fifths. Um, but when it does change key, it's almost always stepping up. The one time that it steps down, decreasing intensity, you want to guess? Moon. Moon. That's right. Hmm. They know what they're doing. Yep. I, yeah. It's my strong theory that they know what they're doing they because they did here. it specifically there. Yeah. Anyway, love that. So that's what's, that's what's going on with the keys in the song. Uh, as for the chords, I'm just going to do this by the numbers. I, I'm not going to dive into every chord. I think we have, I put together a doc. You guys can make that available if people want to look at all the, yeah, we'll, all we will, the information. Uh, yeah, we'll attach it in our newsletter. So if anybody hasn't gone online yeah. and signed up for the newsletter, it's prognotespodcast.com slash community sign up. We send out a monthly newsletter called Show Don't Tell, and uh, we will include all of the the in-depth of Pusher's notes that he created for this album. It's too much. We, it, it, it's, it's a lot. Uh, if you're very interested in that, you could go on and check that out. So prognotes podcast.com slash community sign up if you'd like to see that it will be on the next upcoming uh newsletter which will come out in a few days after this episode releases so perfect it's funny i actually transcribed 
I got a few of the MIDI files for this because I had to transcribe everything to do the analysis. Oh my gosh. And then I transcribed everything else and it was a lot of work and it was very tedious. And I saw at the end of last month, I was just on their Instagram looking at their link tree. I saw at the end of last month, they released a book of everything from this album. Are you serious? Oh, Lord. Oh, so close. Man. I did all the transcriptions like two months ago, but still. Oh, wow. man. Anyway, let's take a look at the numbers of the chords. All right. We got 12 songs. Yep. There are 58 unique riffs, chord progressions that happen. Dear All God. right. So that, okay. Yeah. So it looks, it looks like if you were just to look at that about five per song, but the way that it works out is a little less balanced than that. Typically you have four to eight chord progressions per song. Every chord progression contains between two chords and 17 chords. So there's a lot of variety in the way that they're writing their chord progressions. This is important if you were to sit down and be like, I want to write a song like Chon. Some of your chord progressions are going to be simple two chord things. Some of them are going to be very in-depth 17 chord progressions. The, the majority of them fall between four and eight chords per progression. Let me ask you a All question. Right? Let me ask a question before yes. we move on from that. The two, the ones that are in two, are, are yep. any of those in, in, some of the, in some of the eight chord tracks and not the loops? Yeah, yeah. Uh, God, I'm not going to remember the. Here, I, I just got wanted all to know the if they were, here. if they had, if they were using that, or if, if the low numbers were for some of those loops, or was it the loops, for some of the uh, the core music? The loops definitely are. I think one of them has two chords and one of them has three chords. Right. But there are sections of songs that are just one chord. At the start of Fall, it's all like an A major nine, like thirteen thing, uh, and it's all just one chord that they're doing like a rhythm on. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then there are some situations where you just have two chords going back and forth. There was a spacey section in a song we played earlier. Let's see if I can find it right. Oh, quick. was that? Uh, hold on. It just goes back and forth between two chords. Perfect pillow for like a whole section. No, no, not perfect pillow. Yeah. Or, or... Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to think of what it was. Gosh, either way, I'll I'll figure it out later. Anyway, there there are sections of songs that just go back and forth between two chords. There are some that are one chord. Most of them fall between four and eight chords per progression, which I think is fairly normal. Yeah. But the takeaway here would be if you're going to write chord progressions, if you want to write songs like these guys, uh, your chord progressions can't just be standard like four chords and call it a day. Yep. You know, there's right. a lot of variety. 17 chords is a lot of chords with no repeating. Wow. Right. Uh, all right. In these chord progressions, there are 290 individual chords. 290 chords. That's right. On this album, there are 290 different chords, not counting repeats. Lord. Wow. 245 of those chords, that's 84% of these chords are diatonic, meaning they are in the key of the song. 84% yep. of all the chords they play are in the key. Yeah. Which means only 45 chords on this entire album. Uh, what's that, like four per song on average? 16% of the chords are chromatic. Half of the songs on this album are almost in, almost exclusively diatonic. You never leave the key in half the songs. Or if you do, it's only for one chord or maybe two chords. Right. And then the other half, about a quarter of the song is chromatic. And the big takeaway from that is, I think the way that they're writing songs and the way that they approach chords and harmony is to mostly be diatonic and to lean heavily on being diatonic, to establish the key and stay mostly in the key and write your riffs in the key, but to not be afraid of going outside of the key. Things like switching, if you're in C major, taking chords from C minor or using secondary dominance or using sequences that step outside the key. So if you did a two, five, one, D, G, C, then to step outside the key and maybe do uh, E flat, 
A flat, D flat, because a sequence uh, yep. is an easy way, easy way to step outside the key. And that's the way that they're approaching chords on this album. Mostly diatonic, uh, but definitely not being afraid of going chromatic a little bit. And with lots, I like to say it again, lots and lots of different riffs. Lots of riffs. Yeah. Again, 35 minutes of music. Yes, exactly. 290 chords. 90 chords in 35. Hold on. Can we, hold on. Can we do a breakdown? Hold on. Actually, hold on. I'm, I'm going to do the math. I'm doing the I'm math. doing the math right now, too. 35 minutes times 60 seconds. 2,100 seconds. Divide that by yep. 290. That's going to give you 7.24 chords. God bless. It's, oh, my God. Keep in mind that this is 290 chords on the album. Right. Not counting repeats. Not counting. Yeah. Lord. So some of these sections repeat like it's not like, you know, we're opening up with a B minor seven, D major seven, C sharp minor seven. That's going to repeat. You know, that's a section. Yep. Yeah. So lots of chords Different moves chords. very, very quickly. And I think that contributes to it feeling longer than 35 minutes. They pack a lot in. Oh, yeah. A lot of music. A lot of music. Yeah. Goodness gracious. That's incredible. Also, that's, that's incredible. That's your harmony on that. I love I love the and the same thing that you were saying as well with the. Uh, um, you know, we do the same thing with the uh, the tempos, but also we're doing the same thing with the chords, as if we're progressing. Yeah. In in keys, as adding as the, intensity, as adding intensity. Yeah, like bringing energy level up. It's kind of like the, you know, right before the beat drops. It's just it's like higher pitch, higher pitch, higher pitch. And it's just like developing it that just energy. Just keeps rising. Yeah, and so that's incredible. That's really cool. Okay, and we have we're gonna listen to a song for the keys and the chords, right? And this is the last song that we're going to listen to. Um, yeah. Which one, what song are we going to be listening to, to for? We're listening to track two. This is story. The form of the song is AAB. Um, basically the first opening riff, uh, the opening and the first riff are going to be entirely diatonic. You might not even notice this cause it's so subtle. Cause I, I do think that they wrote this well in terms of like melody and harmony. You may not notice they're going to use sequences to borrow from Mixolydian. Uh, which is a flat seven. If you're in C major, that would be a B flat instead of a B natural. Um, and they're just going to increasingly use more chords that are outside of the key. I picked this song because it it does borrow from relative, it borrows chords from relative keys a lot, but it may be hard to notice. Uh, if you're listening for anything here, I would listen for chords that sound a little bit less than diatonic. And I think that they do it as a, as a way to escape the trap of everything sounding sort of diatonic and samey because god knows right. we don't want to stay in diatonic for god's sake no get outside Jeez. the keys. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this real quick before we jump into it sure um i i, uh, I just want you to, to explain uh maybe a common place or uh maybe a geographic location that you would hear mixolydian commonly um the place that you would normally naturally hear Mixolydian, definitely it's very present in Western music. Western music. It's, just, okay. it's, one of the, it's one of the modes that's based on the major scale. It's the mode that appears on dominant chords. So if you were like in jazz school learning how to improvise on a dominant chord, they would say Mixolydian because that's the one that if you're playing the C major scale, it's the one that starts on G, the dominant. Right. Gotcha. So it's just a flat seven. It, all, it sounds almost exactly like the major scale, except the last note is flat. So you don't have that leading tone. Yep. Gotcha. You don't have T dough. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's yeah, let's subtle. take a listen to story. 
Very interesting. It's a very interesting song. I find very it spacey. Little, I find it to be quite little, enjoyable too. That little drum polyrhythm at the end always gets me. Oh, I love it. it it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 great. And I love I love that whole section too. Just that that yeah. whole thing. That is actually so. That last spacey section is an example of a section that's just two chords going back and forth. That's right. Uh, and so it's actually yeah. going back and forth between the six chord and the flat seven, which comes from Mixolydian. So that's an example of them going outside the key. Interesting. Okay, that's a very easy yeah. easy way to kind of like pinpoint very. oh that chord out of the two hundred ninety yeah. that are on this one. Right. You know, I can find that one pretty easy. That's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is. That is it right there. Five sections that we've kind of broken down a little bit. I, I just wanted to go through maybe uh, and, and, and maybe go with Drew because I know I've learned something uh, from every everything that Pusher brought brought for us here to listen to. But Drew, is, oh, yeah. what any any opinions, overview, general thoughts on anything that you've maybe learned from uh, from this album now that we've done this analysis on it? Well, it was just so interesting to me that the the tempo rises each track and the keys go up each preceding, you know, yeah. after each preceding track. So I, that's just something I never noticed beforehand. Uh, and that really does, it's a subconscious thing where you you won't notice it, right? I, I don't think when you're first listening, you know, it just kind of naturally, you start to kind of, you know, feel that way. And that's... Uh, that's so. Oh, I feel like this is like <laughs> Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Like I know it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's um, definitely one of those things you feel and not uh, necessarily think about. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was really, really neat. It was incredible that they used like 290. Uh, yeah. 290 chords. That's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, yeah, there was quite a bit that i learned you know one thing one thing that and 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 this is actually just going to be me talking about it from a a musician standpoint like a writer and i know that we have some musicians that listen to the show i've never ever put the folk excuse me i've never ever put the focus on the album in terms of how the songs flow on the record besides just kind of like does this fit here or we want to like you know you'll have like maybe okay let's put like the three rock tracks and then we'll put maybe the you know the somber one it's usually be kind of like related to energy but not anything as complex or as well thought out as something like oh we're going to change key every single one like it was it was very is very intentional that the it seemed very intentional that the music that they were writing was for the whole record and not just for that whole that one song you know what I'm talking about? Right. Am I making sense? If you were going to try to recreate that, the thing that would make the most sense to me would be to write the songs. Cause I don't think that they wrote it in order. I don't think that they necessarily thought like to, to set out to do that. You yeah. Know? But I think that you could write the songs and be like the intensity of this one is really good. And then, you know, they all play instruments where you just move your hand and you're in a different key. So it's not, impossible that they wrote the songs and then said this one would sound good after this one a little higher so that's one theory um but yeah they definitely do it it's definitely happening whether they intended it or if it just happened because they're sort of tuned into what they wanted to sound like yeah right 
Yeah, it's just I've never I've never gotten to that point of thinking to the level of how the album flows with the music outside of just the music. Like normally, or, or, or the songs, excuse me. Like I'm normally thinking within the song context. Like, okay, what can go to here? What can go to here? But then overall, from the album perspective, at least in my mind, I've never actually really gone that far. I've never really thought mm. about that area or that space. Um, mainly because I've just never realized it or noticed that it could be a thing until this. That's one thing that I've picked up on this, which I think is incredible that a, a cool tool to use um, for kind of like outlining the shape of a record and what, yeah. what you want it to sound like right. and what you, what kind of energy you want it to have and, and that kind of thing. So I think that is excellent. And I think it's, it's interesting too, because that kind of macro look at a song can be applied on a smaller, like song to song level as well. Exactly. Like, like, like we were saying, it's not just a bucket of different riffs. Like it's organized in a way that works. And part of that could be like your A section maybe starts on the four chord and then your second A section starts on the two chord and then your B section starts on the one chord or something. So yeah. those sorts of like indicators can help the song flow. Whereas if your first four sections all start on the same chord, it's not going to sound as uh, uh, contrasty. Yeah. That's not a word. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, that's no for sure. That is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's really cool. They're an interesting group. Uh, but I'm guessing Pusher. I mean, just this was your first time listening to this record was for this this podcast, I think, right? Yeah, it was my first hundred times listening to this record. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, did you? I mean, did you enjoy it? Like your first few listens through? Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. The first time I listened to it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is math rock. I get this." This makes sense to me. <laughs> My initial concern when you guys were like, do you want to break down a math rock record? And then you gave me three to choose from. And I chose this one because it was like the most math rocky to me. My first concern was going to be, will this be too complex for me to like wrap my head around? And I right. struggled with that bit and not, but otherwise it was like, it makes sense. You know, the, it's in four, it's in seven, it's in five, it's in three. It's right. It's, it all makes a lot of sense. The devices they're using are simple. And I think that their melodies are very easy to follow and that helps contribute to their success. Um, but it's also like they're doing simple things at a really high level. Right. And so you can, right. you can like sit down on a beanbag chair and vibe to it, or you can like analyze it for months like I've done. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think, uh, I mean, I, I think I said it was back in 2016, I think it was actually 2017 that when Destin and I saw them, they're, really interesting because you say beanbag chair they've got like this groove to them right but it's so funny yeah. because again they take influence from stuff that's really high energy and not chill to listen to at all like a lot of metal and you can tell when dustin and i went to go see them like dustin said earlier it was very mosh pity and the two groups that played before them because they're still small enough that they can't just headline like paul mccartney or rush and have no head you know not um sorry any opener for yeah. them right so they were touring with these other two groups they were the headliner but um, two other groups were with them. Um, what was it? Something. What was it? What were their names? I don't Something remember. Troy. Uh, Fall Some of Troy? Troy. Fall of Troy was one of them. Uh, and I, I forget the other one. But um, heavy. They were very heavy groups. Very heavy. Very yeah. lots of use of distortion. Very intense, loud drums. Yeah. And that and actually that, that actually could attend uh, or attest to the record label that they're using. Sumerian mm, because they yeah. you know that's the, they have a lot of like the post hardcore 
like right. metal it's stuff just, on those record labels. I, on that I record see label. some of the similarities between the two, but I do not get a metal vibe when I listen to them at all. And it's so funny because their fans loved their openers, right? I'm assuming they were, they yeah. were fans of them too. And they, again, were kind of mosh pitting and getting real into it with Chan. And I'm like, okay, they're playing fast, but I'm not getting like some of the songs people were headbanging to and it weren't, wasn't a headbanger song. And I'm just like, this is just so weird to me. So their fan base is really interesting to me. Um, but it was a fun show. It was a fun show. Yeah, it it's just cool. uh, like, I mean, you know, Destin and I aren't really, yeah, mosh pit kind of people. So it was like, whoa, this is weird. We're just here to experience the music. Here to have live. a good time. I mean, we're just trying to have a good time here. Uh, shoot. But it was, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just bizarre to me. Uh, I, I guess not bizarre. Again, I can see some of the connections, but I was not expecting that when I went to the concert. I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's great. And all of that to sum up Chon. Yeah. By the way, by the way, Drew, what does Chon mean? Uh, it stands for carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, the four most common elements in living organisms. So let's just add that to the nerdiness of that one. Just want to throw yeah. that in there as a little smoothie for you. That's so yeah. nerdy. Um, I know. Yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta think about that. So, but <laughs> I guess we'll end it right there. Everybody, thank you so much for sticking around. And this is a little bit longer episode. Thank you for listening to our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. Follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes and our brand new Facebook page at prog notes podcast. You can also join our prog notes community, which will give you access to our monthly newsletter and other fun stuff like playlists from Drew and I, our discord community, more prog rock music. You can also, you can find the link to that um, in the episode's description or on social media platforms. Drew, what is the next episode's album? What are we going to listen to next? Here we go. We're doing it. We're doing, <laughs> it. We're doing it. It's it's about we're time. We're doing it. We're doing yeah. We're doing images and words by Dream Theater. Oh yeah. So that'll be interesting. I've never actually heard a Dream Theater record end to end. This will be interesting. This will be good. Um, also, Destin, you probably already have this in your notes here or something. But uh, Pusher, uh, where can people find you? and all of the amazing stuff that you do. Yeah. You can find me on all the major platforms. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, every age group captured there. My handle is at It's Pusher. That's I-T-S Pusher. Perfect. Hmm. Awesome, man. Cool. Dude, thank you for coming on. Yes, this thanks show. so much. This was a real Seriously. treat. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Because we would have not known half the stuff about this record if it wasn't for your analysis on it. So... And, uh, and everybody, if you want to see his analysis, the full analysis of everything, join the Prog Notes newsletter, show Don't Tell, so you can get it, because we're going to put it there, and it's it's incredible. I mean, I'm, I, I haven't made it all the way through yet, but I'm working on it, and it's incredible. So that is it for this episode. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. We're going to close with a fan favorite, Splash. See you guys on Discord. Thanks. Mm-hmm.